I'm only going to say two things about the football game today. First, if you care which team I'm rooting for, you need look no further than the color of my tie. If you're far back, there's no green on my tie whatsoever. Second thing I would say is that I'm pretty sure there is an amazing sweater here today that has to do with the Super Bowl. So just just when service is over, you need to find this sweater that an individual is wearing and have your picture taken with it. It's, It's that good. So that's it. No more Super Bowl. Stand firm. That is uh, Paul's overarching theme in this last chapter of his letter to the church in Philippi. Stand firm. Never give up. Persevere. Last week I used the expression, nail your feet to the floor. And I heard a little kid gasp in the front row over here. (laughs) I didn't mean that literally. But we are to nail our feet to the floor, to be unmoved, to never give up, to never turn away, to persevere. In Paul's words, to stand firm. And he introduced that theme in verse 1 of chapter 4, where he said, Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus, in the Lord. In other words, stand firm in the ways I'm about to show you. So he started showing them in verses 2 and 3, which we looked at last week. Paul showed them how important unity was if they were going to stand firm. And so when there is conflict within a church like there was in that church between Iodia and Syntyche, those inside the conflict should work to agree in the Lord and then those outside the conflict should look to help. And in doing that, they will stand firm in the Lord. That brings us to our verses today which have three more exhortations for the church who's looking to stand firm. And those three exhortations are rejoice always, be gentle, and never worry. These are very difficult commands to follow. Very difficult commands to follow. In fact, two of them sound nearly impossible. Rejoice always, never worry. Worry. There's a lot here. We won't have time to cover all of it this morning. We'll take the first two today. Rejoice always and be gentle and Lord willing, we'll take the third. Never worry next week. So everything I just said was the introduction that I finished last week as I was writing out this sermon. And then this morning as I was doing my Sort of last minute preparation. I do this every Sunday morning and reading through it again and getting out my red pen and marking and underlining and crossing out and adding. This morning when I did that, 
I realized that I wanted to only focus on rejoice always. So we're not even going to get to gentleness. We're not even going to get to never worrying until next week. I'll introduce gentleness today, but we're really going to focus on it next week. I think that rejoicing always is that important for us today. The sermon may be a bit shorter. I'm not sure. Maybe not. But let's just focus on what Paul has to say here when he calls the Philippians. And of course, God through Paul also calling us. All of this is God breathed and useful and helpful for us. God is calling us to rejoice always. But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we need your help understanding your word and we need your help applying your word. We know that our minds will be dark and our hearts will be cold without you. So by your Holy Spirit, give us light and heat, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find that on page six hundred and thirty seven. Let me read the text, all of these verses here in its entirety one more time before we begin. This is Philippians chapter four, verses four through seven. This is the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. So as I said before, we'll focus on just verses four and five this morning, but especially verse four. We'll focus on six and seven next week. In our verses today, there are two exhortations from Paul. Rejoice always and be gentle. Literally, look with me. Paul says in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then in verse five, he says, let your reasonableness. That word means gentle. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So this week, as I was preparing, I read the rest of Paul's letter. And I asked myself, why is Paul calling for rejoicing and gentleness? Why? Out of all the things that he could call for, he's calling for rejoicing and gentleness. Why? So here's what I came up with. Here's what we know. We know that there were false teachers in the Philippian church. We know that there were false believers in this church. We know there was some division in this church. We know it was only a matter of time before the heat of persecution was in this church. And 
all of those kinds of circumstances, all of those difficult circumstances would conspire to test their attitude toward God and their attitude toward one another. All these things that were happening and pushing in on those Philippians and all those things that were going to happen and push in on those Philippians, that was going to threaten their attitude towards God and it was going to affect and threaten their attitude toward others. So in light of that, here is what Paul is saying. Stand firm in joy. Stand firm in gentleness in regards to your attitude toward God. Rejoice always. In regards to your attitude toward others, be gentle. When difficulty comes into your life, vertically, joy is threatened. Right? When difficulty comes into your life vertically between you and God, joy is threatened. And when difficulty, when trouble comes into your life horizontally, gentleness is threatened. When life becomes hard, when life becomes painful, as it was for the Philippians, we are tempted to shake our fist at God and shake our fist at others. When things are going well, maybe not so much. But this is my natural inclination. When things are difficult, when things are hard, when things are painful, my joy in God is challenged and my gentleness toward others is challenged. Can you guess which kinds of work days I'm less likely to come home after gentle? Is it a day where there's trouble and difficulty or is it a day that is relatively nice and easy? My temptation is when the day is difficult or when the day is painful or when the day is hard is to come home and to be harsh. Or to be cold. Or to be curt. Not gentle. My knee-jerk attitude toward God when things do not go well is to, is to complain, is to, is to question, is to, is to murmur. And so Paul is preemptively calling for the Philippians to stand firm in joy and in gentleness. I think that's what Paul is doing. So let's read on and find out how Paul does that, focusing today on the joy. Let's begin with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. There are three parts to this verse, and you can probably see them. Rejoice, always, and in the Lord. And each of them are very important. You can't take one away. 
Each of these are very important. First, the command rejoice. So this is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is actually a command from Paul. It's, a, it's an exhortation from Paul. It's an instruction from Paul. Who is writing through Paul? God is writing through Paul. God is the ultimate author of all of Scripture. So this is God commanding you. This is God commanding me to rejoice. So what's that mean? Rejoice means be Joyful. Now that can look lots of different ways. So let's get that disclaimer out of the way. You can be joyful and not smiley. You can be joyful and not sing-songy. You can be joyful and not have a, a bounce in your step. Okay, You can be somber and joyful. You can be sorrowful and joyful at the same time. So don't. So don't get too narrow a view in your head of what that looks like. But know that the command is inside, internally, on a heart level, be joyful. Or rejoice means feel happiness. Be joyful, feel happiness. So the command from Paul is literally be joyful. The command from Paul is literally feel happy. Think about that. In, in, in modern language, the command from Paul here is, hey, hey, Eric, hey, you feel happy. That sounds strange. That sounds strange to me. I would never say that to somebody. Be joyful, feel happy, rejoice. And he wants the command to sink in, which is why he says it twice in one verse. That doesn't happen very often. He says it twice, doesn't he, in one verse. Rejoice. Again, I will say, rejoice. I'm not kidding here. I'm not joking around here. I'm not exaggerating here. I'm not being silly here. Rejoice. No, really, I mean it. Again, I will say, rejoice. The next word for us to think about is always. This answers the question, when should I rejoice? Or how often should I rejoice? Or upon what occasion should I rejoice? Temporally. When's this supposed to happen? I need to be joyful. I need to feel happy. When? How often? Uh, Upon what occasion? And Paul's answer to those questions is yes. All of them. Upon what occasion should I rejoice? All of them. How often should I rejoice? Always. When I'm rejoicing, how long should I rejoice? Forever. Rejoice always. So Paul is saying, listen, there are, 
to the Philippians, there are false teachers in your church. Rejoice and stand firm. I know there are false believers in your church. Rejoice. Stand firm. Division. Persecution. Rejoice. Stand firm in joy. Rejoice always. When I am not joyful, that's not what I want to hear. If I'm moping around, I feel like I've been doing a lot of confession lately in my sermons. And I'm wondering if my, my reputation, whatever little there was, is just going down, down, down. You're like, this guy is a jerk. Well, that is true. So if I'm moping around, so I mope, I mope around. You can ask my kids this. You can ask my wife this. Sometimes I mope around. And everybody can tell because I come home and uh, why is this there? <laughs> Who cares why that's there? You know, why is that there? And, 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 and where's this? And uh, he's, he's, eating, he's eating crackers on the couch. Did you, you know, he's, did you know that? He's eating crackers on the couch. There's like crumbs everywhere. Some of you know I have this thing with crumbs. <laughs> It's, it's obvious. And, I, and then I guess maybe just quiet. Maybe just quiet. So something has happened to me. Something didn't go my way. Uh, I read too much news. Whatever it was, something happened. And I'm just moping around. And, 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 and then someone says to me, you're mopey. I don't like that. I, I know I'm mopey. And I don't want to be told that, and I'm not helped by that. And I'm really not helped when you say, like what Paul says, stop moping around. If it doesn't happen outwardly, inwardly, my eyes are just doing that. Don't tell me to stop moping around. I, I can't just stop being mopey. Don't you know how this works? It's not just a switch that I flip on and off. There are reasons... Good reasons <laughs> that I'm mopey. I didn't come home and get out of the car and say, mopey, not mopey. I'm just, I'm, I'm mopey. Just leave me alone. I'm mopey. I don't want to hear Paul when he says, don't be mopey. And he says far more than that. Rejoice always. I, I think that sounds impossible to some of you. I think some of you think that's just, he doesn't really mean it. Or it must mean something other than be joyful or other than feel happy. I think that command even sounds unfair to some of you. It might sound unfair to some of you. Our response might be like it often is for me. Joy is an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. It is a feeling. And I do not have control. You can finish this sentence for me. And I do not have control over my feelings and my emotions. They just happen. Therefore, that's not fair. Let's put this on a bigger scale. That's not fair. 
what if my circumstances are terrible? I'm not talking about like Eric has a bad day. I'm talking about the terrible circumstances that some of you are in the middle of right now. The storms that are raging around your life right now. What if my circumstances are terrible? What if there's conflict in my home? What if there is no money in the bank? I have cancer. My children have walked away from God. My parents favor my siblings. My spouse has left me. How can Paul say to me, rejoice always? That's not fair. You feel that way sometimes? A couple of things. First, Paul practiced what he preached. Paul practiced what he preached. He rejoiced always. I mean, the guy seems totally immune to difficult circumstances. In Acts chapter 16, this is when Paul first went to Philippi, where this church is that he's writing to. When he first went there, he and Silas were beaten and thrown into jail And that night, they were found in jail. Do you remember what they were doing? Rejoicing. (laughs) They were were singing praise songs to God. Not dirges, not lamentations. They were singing praise songs to God. And, And think about this. What about now? Where is Paul right now as he's writing this letter to the Philippians and telling them in their difficult circumstances to rejoice always. He is not writing from a cruise ship. He's not like out on the sun deck, you know, taken in the sun, crafting this letter to the Philippians. So glad I'm not you guys. Rejoice always. It's easy, really. It's simple, really. Paul is writing this from prison, awaiting execution, where he has been for two years chained around the clock to a guard. That's that's where he is as he is writing this letter. Paul practiced what he preached. He says, rejoice always. He rejoiced always. And second, we'll spend time here. Paul isn't just saying rejoice. He's not saying your circumstances are no big deal. He's not saying suck it up. Rejoice. He's telling them how to do this. It's subtle, but it's massive. He's telling them how to do this. It's in the last part of this verse that we've saved. Let's read the verse again. Look for it. Look for it. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. There's one more part here. It's what 
makes this verse distinctly Christian. It provides the answer to the question, how can I possibly do this? It is the, it is the firm foundation, it is the ground beneath the Christian's rejoicing in the Lord. He doesn't just say rejoice. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying no matter what is going on in your life. That's the always. No matter what is going on in your life. Persecution, division, family strife, rebellious children, church conflict, disability, disease, scarcity. Whatever is going on in your life, no matter what is going on in your life, rejoice in the Lord. Many of you have lots of things to rejoice in. Health and family. Many of you success, abundance, Friendship, security, provision, and on and on. All of us, just just by virtue of where God has had us live and when God has had us live, have so much to rejoice in, have so much to be thankful for. And these things that you have to be thankful for, these things that are going well in your life, make you happy. Nothing wrong with that. They are a ground beneath your joy. I'm so happy because, and you would name these things. So imagine with me. Imagine with me one of these beach houses that's up on posts. You've seen these homes. on the sand, beautiful view, looking out at the ocean, and then these homes are built up and supported by all of these posts. So you're the house, and these posts underneath this house are the reasons you rejoice. They're the reasons you rejoice. And many of those posts are many of those things that, that I just named. My family, my church, my, my friends, my health. And you could, go, you could go on and on. And here is what God does for those whom he loves. He knocks out a post. This is one of the things God does for those whom he loves. He knocks out a post. A wave comes in, sometimes a big wave, and it knocks out a post. And then another wave comes in, and it knocks out another post. What does the house start to do? It starts to wobble. It's maybe not as secure anymore. When that happens, we might fight it. How do you fight that? How do I fight that? I try and control my circumstances. 
I try and control my circumstances or I try to ignore my circumstances or you try to run from your circumstances or you try to escape from your circumstances. But you cannot control your circumstances. You cannot run from your circumstances. You cannot escape your circumstances. And the big reason you can't escape, run from, avoid your circumstances is that, listen, ultimately all of your circumstances are from the hand of God. The wave is from God. The knocking out of the post is from God. God is sovereign over everything. R.C. Sproul said there is not a maverick molecule in the universe. There's not a maverick moment in the universe. It is God's hand behind all of your circumstances. So you can't control your circumstances. You try, I try. I can't run from them. I can't escape them. I can numb myself to them, but they're always there. I cannot run. I can't deny my circumstances. And so the house is teetering sometimes. Like you, hear, you hear wood splitting. You hear cracking underneath the floor. The floor begins to shake. And when Paul says, when you're in that house and that storm, those waves are coming in, those posts are getting knocked out and you're teetering and you're wobbling. And then Paul comes and says, rejoice always, feel happy, be joyful. You're thinking, rejoice? I'm trying to survive right now. I'm, just, I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm trying not to sin against people. And Paul says, be joyful. Feel happy right now. Rejoice always. Maybe that's a little dramatic for some of you. Maybe the enemy of your joy is something else. Regardless, Paul is talking about the ground that is beneath your joy. This joy is not based on your circumstances and how you inevitably feel about your circumstances. There are times when your circumstances are favorable and rejoicing comes easy. And there are times when your circumstances are unfavorable and rejoicing is very difficult. There are times when it comes naturally springing out of your circumstances and how you feel. And there are times when joy seems impossible. Don Carson says this. Whatever the mysteries of evil and sorrow. They do not have. They do have the salutary effect. Of helping believers to shift the ground of their joy. From created things to the creator. From the temporary to the eternal, from consumption to God. That's why God knocks out the post. So that your security, so that your hope, so that your joy can be found in the creator and not the creation. In God and nothing else. Will the house fall? Or 
will it find its support and its joy in Christ and in Christ alone? So how, Paul? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? In the Lord. In. In. Means into. Because of. On account of. In connection with the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Here's what Paul is saying. Let me say it a few different ways. And then show you support in other verses. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Here's what he's saying. Let me say it three different ways. The ground of Christian joy is knowing Christ. The ground of Christian joy is knowing Christ. Or the key to rejoicing always. Don't you, you want to rejoice always? You want to obey this? You want to be joyful? The key to rejoicing always is thinking always about Christ. The key to rejoicing always is thinking Always about Christ. Or a third way. Rejoicing is rooted in revelation. Rejoicing is rooted. So we're talking about the ground. We're talking about the roots. We're talking about the key. Okay, the key, the roots, the ground. If I'm going to have this joy in God... There has to be right thinking before that. There has to be right knowing before that. There has to be revelation from God before that. In those phrases that I just gave you, I know this is hard. In those phrases, feelings and emotions are subservient to thoughts. This is crucial. And this is, this is the way our, our Bible talks. And this is the way our Bible teaches us to live. And it's very contradictory to what comes natural. And it's very contradictory to what you might hear elsewhere. And that is right thinking precedes right feeling. Right thinking precedes right living. That's biblical. But you and I, we tend to go straight to feeling and then doing, and then maybe thinking at some point. That's what's more natural. So this happens, and I don't like that. And that, I have this emotion now. That makes me feel this way. I'm upset by that. I'm angry by that. I'm made mopey by that. I'm, I'm offended by that. I am irritated by that. And now I act, I do, based on how I feel. And then maybe at some point, I'll actually think about it. But I'm off. I'm off. I'm, I'm, I'm running. We tend to go straight to feeling. When a difficult circumstance comes your way, most of us will start feeling before we do any thinking. 
let me show you a couple of verses. One in James chapter 1 and the other in Romans chapter 5. We're talking about the importance of knowing, the importance of thinking, which leads to these feelings, which leads to these affections, which leads to these emotions that we are called to have. In these two verses, which both talk about joy in difficult times, I want you to listen for the ground beneath the joy. Hey, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen to the ground beneath the, the joy here. Count it all joy, James says, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So, trial, difficulty, joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me read it again and I'll emphasize the ground beneath this joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know. You hear that? How do I have joy in trial for you know? Because you know things. Think, he's saying. Set your minds on things above. There are things that you know. There are, there's revelation that God has given you. Think about this. Romans 5, 1 through 5. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. There's that combination again, joy and trouble. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, where does the joy come from? From knowing, from thinking, from truth, from revelation from God. Knowing Thinking, then joy. If I'm going to have joy, you see what I'm going to need to be doing. There are so many other verses we could read together. Just one more. These are the words of Jesus in John 15. It's 11 verses. The first 11 verses of John chapter 15. I think Paul might have... These words of Jesus in mind. I have no way of proving that. But in John 15, 1 through 11, listen to what Jesus says. And remember, we're listening for what is, what is the ground beneath joy? If it's not circumstances and how my life is going, then what is it? Well, listen to what Jesus says and the, 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 the punchlines at the end. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, so notice the, the in, in, in. We're to rejoice in the Lord. It, it, listen to how Jesus is talking about us living in him, the Lord. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit like joy. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So that's a, that's a mini sermon from Jesus, isn't it? And he's talking about abiding in him and what it means to abide in him. Basically what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and he goes on and on and on and we, we could study that for weeks those first 10 verses and then he says this at the conclusion of that mini sermon these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He says, I'm revealing myself to you. I'm giving you truth. I'm saying these things to you so that you may have joy. You need to know these things. You need to understand these things. You need to set your mind on these things. You need to think on these things. And if you do, my joy will be in you, your joy will be full. So again, back to those three statements. The ground of Christian joy is knowing Christ. The key to rejoicing always is thinking always about Christ. Rejoicing is rooted in revelation. So let's, let's start to head out of this sermon. Let me make this very practical. As practical as I can. So you find yourself in a, in a circumstance. And, and you know, you did this morning, or you're in one right now, or, or this afternoon. It won't take long. You find yourself in a circumstance. It, 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 it could just be a, a one and done. It could just it could hit and then it's gone. It could be an abiding circumstance. But whatever it is, you find yourself in a circumstance and it's taking your joy. So I hope you know what that feels. That sounds strange, but I hope you know what that feels like. You've experienced this. Let's be honest about it. I was joyful and now I'm not. And the reason I'm not is something happened. 
My, my circumstances changed. They're not favorable anymore. Things aren't going the way I want them to go. I, I got some bad news. W whatever it is, or, or just inexplicably, I'm just, I'm not joyful anymore. So the joy is threatened. The joy is being taken. It could be a big thing. It could be a little thing. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do in that moment? What do you, what do you need to do over and over again? I mean, Paul has told you rejoice. Feel happy. Okay. Feel happy. What, are you going to just say that to yourself over and over again? You know, look, look at yourself in the mirror and just repeat it. Feel happy. Feel happy. Feel happy. Until you do, it's not going to happen. Stop and think. Do this. Stop and think. Read God's word. I mean, do we really believe this is the way to joy or not? Read God's word. Get counsel from a Christian you trust. How should I think about this? So this is this is what this is what I do. And and, and sometimes I, I can't get alone with God as quickly as I'd like to. Sometimes I'm having to try and do this while I'm doing other things. But as I'm able, if my joy is gone, I've got to stop. And I've got to stop just feeling and emotioning. And I need to think. I need to go to God's word. I need to get another Christian around me. And here are the kinds of questions I'm asking myself with God's word. How should I think about this? Whatever's happened to me right now, whatever's bothering me right now, whoever is bothering me right now, how should I think about this? What, what does God think about this? What does God have to say about this? In other words, what is really going on here? Right, who's in control of this and where is it headed and why is it happening? And, and it doesn't take long before I am faced with truth in God's word or from another Christian that's going to at least help me to shape now my emotions by my thinking and by truth. My thinking should be shaped by God's word, by God's revelation. And so I literally, if the joy is gone, I'm, I'm getting the Bible or I'm getting a book that points me to the Bible or I'm getting a Christian that points me to the Bible and, and I'm reading and I'm thinking until my joy is back. That's not always simple. It doesn't always, you know, 30 seconds and there it is. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's days. But this is the remedy. I need God's revelation so that I can have right thoughts, so that I can do right actions and have right emotion. And so I'm reading. And I'm going here and no, and maybe this. No. 
try two, three. And then I almost always end up at Romans 8, 28. Like, Lord, I feel like I'm just using the same verse over and over again. I'm trying to find something else that works, but I just it's my go-to. So I just keep going back. Romans 8, 28. And I'm reminding myself. I'm reminding myself that, that, that all these things that are so difficult and all these things that are painful and all these things that are taking my joy, all these waves that are knocking out these piers beneath me, I'm reminded there that every single one of them is a part of God's plan for my good and His glory. And there is not a mopey attitude yet that has survived that verse. It might take a while. But that that ends with, God, you're so good. You are so good. Even this thing that hurts, even this thing that's annoying, even this thing that is painful, even this thing that is an interruption, even this thing that is offending me, it all is a part of this painting that you are painting that in the end I'll look back on and see how, how every stroke of the brush was a part of this perfect picture. Everything. Okay. I'm, I'm feeling it as I'm talking and thinking about it. Smile. So we've got to think. Again, Don Carson said, if we fail to respond with joy and gratitude when we are reminded of these things, it is either because we have not properly grasped the depth of the abyss of our own sinful natures and of the curse from which we have been freed by Jesus, or because we have not adequately surveyed the splendor of the heights to which we have been raised. So let me conclude. I gave you one practical way that works for me, and that is finding time alone with God as soon as possible, opening up His Word, reading His Word, loading my mind with truth until I feel differently about a situation or a circumstance. Something else I'll do is read a song. And we sung a great song this morning. These lyrics are, are so good. This song, Grace Alone. And I want to close with reading the lyrics to this song. The author is going through the doctrines of grace, which we're studying in our class. He goes through them in order from the beginning. Now, sometimes I'll read a song like this and it brings joy. So so here's a song. I was an orphan. Lost at the fall. Running away when I'd hear you call. But Father, you worked your will. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne. But Father, you loved me still. So I'm reminded in the first verse of that song of my sinfulness, of my depravity of my condition apart 
from God, lost, running. No righteousness of my own, no right to anything of God. And then he moves on in the next verse and says, And in love, before you laid the world's foundation, you predestined to adopt me as your own. So now he's moving on to this great election of God that that teaches us that before I was even born, God loved me. That he started loving me before he created the universe is what scripture teaches. He set his affection on me before I was even born. You have raised me up so high above my station. I am a child of God by grace and grace alone. He moves on to the work of Christ and the atonement. You left your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost. But Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone. But nothing I did could ever atone. But Jesus, you paid my debt. By your blood, I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown. You rose that I might be a new creation. I am born again by grace and grace alone. So you see where this song is going. And if I'm reading this, it's starting to bring me joy. It's getting my focus on what it needs to be on. God, you've been loving me before you even created the universe. You sent your son, Jesus, to die for me. Jesus, you willingly took my place on the cross. And now he moves on in the song. And now at a point in my life, you woke me up and showed me how you had been loving me for all time. I was darkness. I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night, but spirit, you made me see. You took the blinders off. I swore I knew the way on my own. Head full of rocks, a heart made of stone, but spirit, you moved in me. And at your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened. On my darkened heart, the light of Christ has shone, called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, heaven's citizen by grace and grace alone. And he closes with perseverance. God is going to keep me forever. So I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us as we hear your commands that feel impossible. God, we feel enslaved sometimes to our emotions. We feel enslaved to our feelings. We feel enslaved to our circumstances. And we all would say that we would love to be able to rise above our circumstances. 
we'd love to be cheerful no matter what, joyful no matter what, happy no matter what, rejoicing no matter what, but we constantly find ourselves dragged back down and into these earthly pits. So we need the help of your Holy Spirit so that we would understand your word and your truth. God, not just to understand your word and your truth and what it says, but to believe it, to believe it at the bottom of our heart. So that, God, our affections would be changed. Our emotions would be changed. Our feelings would be changed. God, for those of us who are here today who are sorrowful and for good reason. Will you, by your Holy Spirit, Bring joy alongside the sorrow. I pray for my friends and brothers and sisters who are in much more difficult circumstances than I am, who are grieving, who are mourning, who are hurting. God, we ask that you would draw near as you promised to those who are brokenhearted so that they would also experience joy. Help us, God, we pray, to think your thoughts so that we would give you the praise, the gratitude, the rejoicing that you deserve. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.